for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, swimmountcf.co.uk. Or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow and Furness. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what we tell him is we tell him that God loves him and has a plan for his life. Right now, he's not feeling God. He's not feeling anything but the pain inside of him and the wanting to just end it. But we talked to him for about a half an hour until thankfully the crisis chaplains arrived and they're able to bring him in for a chat and to get him the help he needs. And then all I can think is, God, your ways are better than my own. You know, please help me not to get disappointed not to get an attitude on, um, when plans don't go the way I have them. So, so perhaps that was for such a time as this reason we are here. Perhaps one of them, but in Ephesians we read that it is good works that God has planned for us. It's plural, it's not just one reason we're here. Um, when we stop focusing on the little issues and see through the large lens of what God has done, we see how he has planned this for a long time. He has instituted things along our paths. You know, I, I mentioned I miss holding my grandsons, um, and I do. But you know, God has provided me children here. One I have known since she was just days old, and I have held her, and I love her and her sister. Um, one of my kids at home is a big sci-fi nerd like I am and we would always go to the movies together. You know, God has provided me a daughter here who's like, Mary, let's go to the movies, and we go and sit, and, which we just did, no spoilers, but we did finish The Last Avengers. So little things like that is just some of the ways God says, I care for where you're at. I am not throwing you somewhere that there, you're not gonna feel, feel me, feel my care. And that's just a couple of the ways of God's provisions, you know. But if he's saying things like movie partners, how much more is he going to do the big things and having put people in your life and along the way? And you might be now wondering, for what does for such a time as this mean for you? You might not be moving to a foreign land, but I can tell you this morning, just in case you don't realize, God's created you for a divine appointment. It is no accident that you are here in Spring Mount at this time in history. Like he did with Esther, God is challenging you in a way. Who knows, but that you are placed here for such a time as this. Spring Mount is moving to a new building. We're going to be coming into contact with new people, many of whom who haven't heard the gospel. They don't know the love of Christ. Maybe some are standing on the cliffs in their life just wanting to see some hope, wanting to know that somebody cares and you are the right person to reach them. Jesus mentions in Matthew the blessings of just giving someone a cup of cold water, which I believe also works with a cup of tea and a listening heart. 
in a chance to tell them of the hope you have in Christ. Anne Voskamp, an author I like, had written, you are where you are for such a time as this, not to make an impression, but to make a difference. Or perhaps you're that person who hasn't fully accepted Christ, that he loves you so much that he gave his life for you, that you have eternal life through him. So if you don't know that, if you don't know Jesus, he's here waiting. And if you haven't already, ask Jesus to come into your life. This might be why you're here for such a time as this. This is Rachel with an abnormally small head, so this is not going to sit over my ears. And this is way out of my comfort zone, so I apologize in advance for stuttered words. So, going back, first week of studying Esther. Oh, now I've disappeared. Um, Johnny talked about the fact that we are a people that are quick to judge. And there are judgments often associated with my job, and one of those presumptions is financial. But back in the start of 2017, Overnight, we found ourselves in quite a lot of debt. Didn't expect emotions kicking that early. So I have been someone who's always been quite tight on money and tight on budget. But in short, it was out of my control, and that was it. One Monday morning, we went in, and we were told there was a sum of about £10,000 that needed to be paid back. I was shocked and anxious, felt quite trapped, out of control. In October 2017, I had very clear confirmation that I felt I needed to move on to the position that I was in. And little did I know I was entering my 12-month period of preparation, just the way that Esther had entered her 12-month period of preparation. There were reasons that I had decided it would not be appropriate to start looking for a job until the new year, the details of which we don't need to know. And we were slowly paying off the debt at that point. God works in mysterious ways, and in the December, we had about £3,000 left to clear on this debt, and we had a gift of money given by family who had no idea the position we were in. And we'd also decided we would never accept money from family in that way again because we'd had previous experiences that were fairly negative. However, I felt that little prompting from God that said, it's not up to you how I work, and where is your forgiveness, and you need to move on. So anyway, in the January 2018, there were two verses that stood out for me. There was Isaiah 43, verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And then in Revelations 21, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said this, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am not somebody that is good at journaling. I've never kept diaries. But that Christmas I'd been given a diary where you just record about two sentences a day, and it follows you across five years. And I wrote these verses down. And I felt excitement that things were going to get better, that we were starting a new year, I was going to move on to a new job, we cleared our debts, all was great. And then then my emotions crashed. (laughs) At that point, I spent the start of the year feeling so flat. I was tired, 
I took enjoyment in nothing. I was running through the motions because you have to and you have to keep going. I certainly didn't remember the words that I'd written down, even though they were written down, and I did not hear the fact that he was going to make a way in the wilderness. As far as I was concerned, God fell silent to me. But he wasn't. I was reading um, Peter Grieg's book, God on Mute, and I've written in that diary this page, and I'm going to read this bit. My friend has lost his sense of taste. For the last few years, eating has been little more than a flavorless solution to the nutritional needs of his body. When God seems absent, his word, given with such love, seems devoid of the exquisite flavors it once had. Others may be feasting on the same food with delight. Taste and see, they say enthusiastically, but for us there is no flavor. God's word has become bland, and yet significantly it remains as nourishing as it ever was and is vital to the well-being of our soul. That I felt described me perfectly. Reading the Bible was a chore. It was just a series of words. It was a routine that I had to do, but that prompted me to know there's nourishment even when you feel nothing. Even when it's just sludge, it is still vital. So, I had metaphorically begun pushing more doors, but everything that had been open over the previous six years was closed, and I wondered why I was facing this wall when I had felt that it was so clear to be moving on from the position I was in. I wondered why the debts had been cleared and then God had fell silent. Why would he do that? In March, at the Ladies' Day, there was an activity where there was a table out at the back with magazine cuttings on, and we had to go up and pick the picture that we felt God was talking to us through. I hate these sorts of things because I don't feel like I hear that clear voice from God. So I hung at the back, waited for the scraps to be left, and uh, I picked up my picture. And I was glancing around at everybody else, writing their beautiful verses and doing their artistic pictures. And I'm quite logical, so I stuck it on one side of the piece of paper and just looked at it for a while. Now, God speaks to you the way that you work, not the way that others work. I wrote beside my picture, which was a picture of insect repellent, (laughs) to repel the insects, the bites and the stings, you have to put together the right formula. You need to repel before the poison gets in and affects your body, before the system reacts, before the pain, before the itch, and sometimes before the scars. And the way you do that is a combination of prayer and study and worship. I feel it's important to say to others as much as myself, we have to not be distracted about how others pray, how others worship, what others do to study. The importance is that you are doing it and you are connecting with God even when you feel nothing. It's not about looking out at everybody else and it's not about the feelings. So a couple of months have passed. In the May, I got offered the perfect job by a previous principal. He was a good friend and a solid Christian, but it was back in Newcastle. And uh, I felt really torn. I didn't feel the peace that it was the right time for our family to be up and moving. I still don't entirely know why that offer came. Maybe it was a custard pie in the face of you could have your perfect job back. But I think it was more that God was showing me the priorities were elsewhere. It's not just about work, it's about where God needs you to be. So, I again decided I was going to become a bit more proactive in my search for a new job, hit another wall, and then I've written another verse down, and that was Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I felt like that was a pretty black and white prompt from God that it was him I was supposed to be plugging into, not just concentrating on what had gone before. Johnny had mentioned in one of his sermons, which was one of the ones that stood out to me, that paraphrasing here, we often look to God for words and we expect that God should stand up and give us a specific word without picking up the Bible. And he has given us so many words and he has told us he is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So I felt him say, why do you as an individual have the right to expect him to say exactly the same thing to you, just a bit differently when he's given it there to you on a plate? So start digging in. So... One of the things Johnny had also mentioned that was once Esther got to this end of the 12-month period, if she wasn't picked, she's going to be no good for anybody else. And something that I realised God was thinking of more than me is that in the dental world, once you start working at a practice within that contract, if you leave, you cannot work within the immediate area. There's a radius where you're not allowed to then take employment. So once I moved jobs, I knew that would restrict anywhere I could work in the local area. A new advert came out in the September last year, and I went for it, and I got the position, and that was the right place to be going. Um, but my surprise and joy, I very quickly forgot and let turn into fear and anxiety, as you do, forget everything you've been told, quite obviously, for all that time before. And at the same time, Raymond was unhappy in his work, and we were talking about the only way for him to get out quickly was to move into supply. As you know, that's not financially stable, and things were already starting to get a bit rocky, and I had the history of the debt hanging over my head thinking, oh, I don't like that not being in control. And again, I wrote down some more verses. It's a bit of a longer one. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So yet again, he had to shout at me. <laughs> Seek him first, because he will provide. He has never stopped showing up for me, and I still lose trust, and I still forget. But you have to plug into his word continually. My such a time as this is that we are still trusting in that we both have fluctuating financial income and I still have to catch myself from going, oh, I don't know if we'll meet things next month and if we'll end up in debt again. But he has never failed. And I have been given another couple of verses, which was Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We have a God that can and does bless us endlessly and above and beyond all that we can imagine. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Eric Moore. Uh, I think I know most of, most of you by now. We've been here for about a year. Um, I, I've been here with my wife, Jackie. We have uh, four children, uh, two sons and two daughters. Um, Johnny had asked me to put together some words uh, of what God is doing in our lives at this point uh, for such a time as this, right, in line with Esther. Um, so these are some things that have encouraged me recently um, since I've been here, and I just want to share with you. Hopefully you're encouraged by it. I'm sorry. If I feel really nervous right now, so I'm kind of shaking here. Um, <clears throat> the first thing is you don't have to be Esther or any other big name in Scripture to do big things for God's kingdom. Um, the world's thinking, the way the world thinks of value and the, world, the way the world assesses people is the exact opposite of the way God assesses people. Um, the world's thinking is finite. It only relates to this world. So God's thinking is eternal. God's will is eternal. God's purpose is eternal. Uh, and the big things for God are actually very small things to the world. Things, uh, you know, the way the, the, the things that the, uh, the world considers valuable um, are actually not very important to God and actually the things that um, that you know that are actually really important um, I'm sorry I'm like completely losing my, my way here um, the wisdom of God is actually foolishness to those who are perishing um, one example is prayer appears to be complacent, wasteful time to the world, right? When we pray, we're actually pouring out God's spirit on the world. You're doing battle with Satan when you pray. It seems to the world that, oh, that's just a waste of time. Oh, you just go in your little dark room and pray. You know, you just go waste time. Go, go not do anything that's important. That's what the world says. But really what we're doing is we're actually spiritually carpet bombing Satan's prayers. We're stopping him in his tracks. And um, when we turn the lights on for Christ, when we pray, we're turning the lights on for Christ and God's kingdom. Um, and just as physical darkness can't shoo away the light, physical light, spiritual darkness cannot shoo away spiritual light. So when we pray, we, we're turning the lights on. Satan can't do anything. He's locked up. So it's, it's the most important thing that we could be doing is praying and worshiping, worshiping and praying. As it says in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray and worship, worship and pray. Satan is powerless against the light of Christ, especially when we're in prayer, when we're in, when we're in his word and we're studying his word. Big things for God appear to be very small things to the world, yet unleash God's power into the world. Um, 
Another thing that uh, people tend to think, I know I have in the past, is that we're, we always have to find out what's the one reason why God has us where we are at any given point in time. What's the, all right, what's the, the one thing that God has called me to do? Well, I've got to find out this one thing. But really, that's just a lie that Satan feeds us. There's not just one reason why we're where we are. God has multiple purposes. He's, he's, he's an eternal God. He's a God of eternal things. Why would he limit you and his will to one thing? It's, it's constant. His, his will, every single day he has you where, where he wants you to be. And he has an infinite amount of purposes for why he has you there. And he's, you're going to affect you know, people for generations to come by what happens today. So God's, God's purposes are infinite. His purposes are eternal. Satan wants you to believe there's only one reason. Satan would, what would Satan like more than you to feel like God's abandoned you? Once, you know, once that one thing is done, then, then what? You're going to feel abandoned by God. Um, but it's encouraging to know that God has eternal purposes, infinite purposes, so we, we can constantly be you know, uh, searching out his eternal purposes. And how do we do that? Our role is to do as God commands in his word. If we're taking care of orphans and widows in their distress, over, looking, looking over the overlooked, right? caring for the needs of the overlooked, when we care for the needs of the overlooked in this world, we're actually caring for Christ's needs. We're caring for Jesus' needs. So we take care of orphans and widows in their distress. We encourage people in using their uh, talents for God's glory. A word of encouragement always is uplifting for people. Um, be willing to help someone in a time of need. So as I conclude, I just want to share also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's always encouraged me. We know we're created by God because it's self-evident in the complexity of life. But we know that we've fallen because death and decline are part of everything in the universe. If death and decline are part of everything in the universe, which is really entropy, scientifically speaking, that leaves no room for evolution. So we know we're created by God. We know there's a God creator behind this whole thing because it's so complex. But if everything's declining, we know that there has to be a creator, and that creator also has to be infinite. Because if he wasn't infinite, there would be a creator that created God and a, cre and a creator that created that God before him. That would be infinite. That goes back for infinity. So we know we have a creator and we know he's infinite. So how do we make sense of this declining world? Does God love us? Has he abandoned us? We know God loves us and has a redemptive plan for our lives because with no redemptive plan for our lives, God in his perfect nature would destroy the world. He wouldn't have any reason to keep it going. Your existence right now in this room is proof of the fact that God has a redemptive plan for your life, which is, for me, was a huge encouragement just to know, you know what, my, my very existence is proof that God loves me and has a redemptive plan for this whole thing. There's that purpose. So, in conclusion, for such a time as this, as it says in Romans, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And how do we, how do, we do that? How do, we, how do we make sense of that practically? Is by reading and studying his word, finding out what he 
what he uh, desires. We start off only being the sum total of the experiences we've had thus far in our lives, which is completely worldly thinking. We, if, in order to find out God's thoughts, we have to read God's word. We have to study God's word. Just as, as you've already said, we kind of must have been thinking the same thing. So. Um, so for such a time as this, help others in their time of need. For such a time as this, learn how to use what God has blessed you with for his glory. For such a time as this, make God's promises your subconscious inner voice. You know, that we can, be, we can feel so defeated uh, when, we, when we think negative thoughts, maybe thoughts, negative thoughts that other people have said or we've, we've just reverberated in our minds uh, previously. But when we make God's promises our subconscious inner voice, we can really effectively do God's will um, and put it into practice. And for such a time as this, use this short, uh, short lease on life that we have to light it up with worship and prayer. Christian, God pulled me out of a really deep pit. Uh, and I don't have time for my full testimony today, but I'll share a little bit of my story just for context. Um, I grew up middle class. We were comfortable. Uh, my parents are married, and I have a younger sister, so we had pretty good life. Um, of course, things weren't perfect. We didn't really have a faith in our home. My mom was an alcoholic, and there were definitely mental health issues in the house. Um, and in high school, I really turned to partying. Um, and at first, it started really slow, but it just kind of eventually spiraled really far out of control um, after a few years. And I began to really hate my life. Um, my choices, I hated them, but I couldn't seem to stop. And I just felt empty. Life was unfulfilling. And through a series of events, I eventually chose to get some drug and alcohol abuse counseling, and that was really a great thing for me. Um, things did begin to turn around, and then a month after that, my life got flipped upside down when two of my friends died in a tragic car crash after they had been drinking. And I really struggled through a couple of months of deep questions about life while I was going through that pain and trauma. Um, and then one day, God swooped in like only he can do. I met this guy who started telling me about the Lord, who I am now married to. And um, the next day, I also started working for a gardener who was a Christian that used to listen to Joyce Myers for eight hours a day. So he really just um, shined his light and his love into my life in a big way all at once. And about a month after I met them, I accepted Jesus as my savior and turned away from my old life. And there were some really big changes uh, right at, at when I first got saved. However, for years, I struggled with that pit that God had pulled me from. And recently, um, in the last couple months, God has given me this vision of my pit and what he has done with it. So we're going to have to use our imaginations a little bit. I know that can be hard. I'm around little kids all the time, and it's hard to sometimes use your imagination, but we'll just do our best. So my pit is my past life. Your pit may be your past life. It might be other things, um, divorce, death of a loved one, job loss, mental, physical illness, being the victim of a crime, just anything that could cause pain or trauma in your life. Um, so I think what I have to say you know, does apply to those situations as well. We know Esther had many of these pains and had a past life. Um, she was an orphan, so we know that she had struggles and pain as well. Um, so here, I'm just going to picture that this stage is my pit, okay? It's a large, gaping hole that could easily trip me up. 
Um, it's dark and it's ugly and it makes me feel ashamed and embarrassed when I see it. And I got saved when I was 21. We moved here one year ago and now I'm 33. So I spent 12 years facing reminders, people, places, and things that triggered me to think about my pit and where, you know, what I had done. And so that was really hard for me at first when I became a Christian. But over time, I studied my Bible, I prayed, I served in different ways, I worshipped and fellowshiped with other believers. And one of my life verses became what Eric just shared at the end, said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind from Romans. And God started to transform me slowly, and he kind of filled in that pit with his promises and his assurance and his comfort and his forgiveness. And one day, I looked back at that pit, and I was shocked to discover that it was completely filled in. And I thought, wow, that's great. It's filled in, and I don't have to worry about accidentally falling into it again. Um, and at that point, I kind of thankfully forgot about it. I didn't really want to think about it. Um, and some more years went by, and it's funny how when something is hurt or broken or needs healing, it's really easy to focus on it. But once it's healed, you tend to not really think about it anymore. And that is kind of what happened to me with my pit. Um, the last time I looked over at it, it was just a patch of earth. And as years went by, God continued to heal my shame and my regret and my past embarrassments. And one day, I noticed that there was a beautiful garden growing with all of my favorite plants. This is where you use your imagination. I love bleeding hearts and hydrangeas and columbines and just maybe some strawberry vines creeping through. And I realized that was my deep pit. God had grown a beautiful, flourishing garden right where my deep pit had been. He has given me strength and ministry and purpose that I would not have without going through the pain and getting scooped up out of that deep pit. Uh, the moment that I accepted Jesus for my, you know, that he died for my sins, he forgave me, I've been able to use everything in my life to bring glory to him. And I don't want to give the illusion of perfection. I make so many mistakes. You can ask my husband. <laughs> um, life is not perfect. I don't always respond with grace or patience, and I struggle with sin. I struggle with uh, pride and anger and other things. But healing and edification are a slow and steady process. No one is immune to sin, just as no garden is without its weeds. Um, and I just want a quick side note, professional help or support groups are totally okay and necessary. Um, my mom has now been sober for 13 years through AA, so those can be a very good thing to help in the healing process. Um, so when God gave me this vision, I felt a nudge from him that I needed to share it. I didn't think it was just for me, but I didn't really know when or how, but I just trusted, okay, you'll provide the opportunity, God. And Johnny approached us, and I knew, okay, this was it. This was an Esther moment for me. Um, so I'm just embracing that God can use me at such a time as this, just as he did with Esther. And we may not all be in the position to save an entire race of people like Esther did with the Jewish people, um, but there are many ways that we can make an impact within the church and outside of the church walls. So I really hope that this is encouraged, that God can heal our pain on this earth, and he can use our experiences to bring glory to him. And I truly believe and have faith that God can make a beautiful garden in your lives and with your pit. I'm going to close with a favorite verse of mine from Psalms 1, 1 to 3. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Okay, thank you.